Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's life-changing message from the Equipping Church. We pray you are empowered and encouraged by the Word of God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As you take your seats this morning, if you've got your Bible or your smartphone, whatever you're going to use this morning, why don't you open your Bible to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 is where we're going to begin this morning, and uh, it will be up on the, on the screen. Lamentations chapter 3. We've been in a series... Uh, entitled Pray. Say that word this morning. Pray. Ah, that wasn't good enough in this Pentecostal church. Say pray. Pray. That's a little better. Hallelujah. I need to know I'm in the land of the living. Hallelujah. Lamentations chapter 3. We've talked about how prayer reveals our intimacy levels. That prayer really is an invitation into me see. Intimacy. Into me see. That when we begin to to walk in a lifestyle of prayer, it's an invitation to see into the heart of God. And so we've talked about how it reveals our intimacy levels. We're intimate with who we pray to, who we pray for. And it reveals how deep you are in your walk with the Father. And it reveals how deep you're in relationship with others because who you pray for and who you pray with uh, causes us to recognize, are we actually walking with each other? Prayer is that link that causes us to walk with one another. Then last week we discussed patterns. How many of you have been consciously, we, we talked about you know, praying the disciples' prayer, asking God to reveal Himself to us first. That if, we will, if we'll get a revelation of God first, then how we pray actually begins to change. We're no longer begging God to do something He's already revealed that He is. So we're not begging God to provide because we've got a revelation that He is provider. We're not begging God to heal because we've caught a revelation that He is the healer. And so we begin to pray out of the revelation of who God is, and we actually begin to see that our prayer shifts and changes things. And how many of you know that when we begin to ask God for a revelation, that revelation will be challenged by the enemy? Few of you understand that this morning. We'll get there. When we begin to ask God for a revelation of who He is, the enemy will seek to steal that revelation from your life. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. I don't care how how prayed up you get sometimes. The enemy is still real. We have a real enemy, and he seeks to still kill and destroy. And you need to understand that. Don't be surprised when you go through something difficult. Don't be surprised when, when your insides feel like turmoil. Okay, somebody saved this morning. That's good. We'll get there. Hallelujah. When we begin to pray that pattern of God be revealed, God set our world right, God meet my basic needs, God help me to be forgiven and forgiving, God protect me from me. That, that's a big one right there. God, protect me from me. I think sometimes we glorify the enemy. Now, we have a real enemy. I just told you that, right? We have a real enemy. But I think sometimes we make a really big devil and a little bitty God, and we don't recognize, actually, part of the issue is me. 
I'm, I'm the one who keeps the pattern going. The enemy just goes, I'll throw this into your spiral there. And so when, when we begin to, to pray from that pattern, and I'm not saying that it's a formula, but a pattern of first revelation, then praying, that it pulls at the heart of God. And if, we, if we're going to pray, we might as well pray like Jesus prayed. Now, there's an obscure passage of Scripture found in a book of the Bible that most people don't read very much because of its dark and dreary inclination. The book of Lamentations. I mean, that's just where you want to find all your joy, right? In Lamentations. I mean, the word itself is just lamentation. I'm lamenting. Have you ever met someone who laments all the time? An Eeyore, right? Anyone ever met an Eeyore? Gloom, despair, or misery on me. You know, that's just all the, just lamentations all the time. And, and Jeremiah, uh, he, he was a lamenter. I mean, the, the book is literally called The Lamentations of Jeremiah. And it, it's not a place that, that people uh, uh, spend a lot of time reading. But hidden in its third chapter is a statement that I believe describes supreme accuracy most of us and how we feel when it comes to prayer. The writer's discussing his relationship with God in his prayer life, and he makes this statement in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 8, Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with a hewn stone, and he's made my paths crooked. The message translation says it this way, Even when I cry out and plead for help, He locks up my prayers and throws away the key. He sets up blockades with quarried limestone. He's got me cornered. I mean, you read on in Lamentations. Listen to some of what Jeremiah says about God here. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. I mean, Jeremiah really is feeling a way about God here. He's made me desolate. I've become a laughingstock to all my people. There mo- Can you imagine what Jeremiah had to live through as a prophet? See, I, you know, on this side of the cross, we're all prophetic. We all hear the voice of God. But here's Jeremiah having to go into the most stubborn and stiff-necked people on the earth. And God's having him say things. And he gets to a point where he's like, God, I'm not going to talk anymore. Like these people, God, do you know who you've called me to? And then he goes on to say, but I don't have a choice because it's like fire shut up in my bones. So if I don't say anything, you tear me to pieces, God. I've felt like that sometimes. Not about y'all. Not about y'all. says, he's filled me with bitterness. He's made me drunk with wormwood. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I've forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. I mean, Jeremiah is in some kind of way here. He is lamenting. And and he, he says, when I pray, I can't even get heard. God has locked up my prayers and he's thrown away the key. Anyone ever felt like that this morning? Like when you've prayed, it's like, God, you you still there? Like I know your word says you're still on the throne, but I'm just wondering, like, did you move? Like, have, have we changed universes? What, what's happened here? And, and 
it, it's this place where you felt like God was not only not listening, but perhaps it's not that he just wasn't listening, but he was intentionally shutting you off. Anyone ever felt like that? Okay, I'm not the only one. That's good. I'll preach to the three or four that, that agreed with me this morning. Have you ever felt like God refused to listen? And not only did he refuse to listen, he refused to respond. Have you ever felt like your prayers were blocked and stopped? I know that this is the case in my prayer life at times. And what I've discovered is that according to Scripture, there are at least three reasons why our prayers are locked up, shut out, or stopped. And we have direct control out of two of the three blocks. The third's out of our, hand, out of our hands, but we'll, we'll talk about that. But it still has to be recognized and factored into the equation of our prayer life. But the first wall is a wall of iniquity. It's a wall of iniquity. This is the first wall in our prayer life that can stop and block our prayers. And it's clearly revealed multiple times in Scripture. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Here's how the Message Bible says it. I've really loved the Message Bible lately. If I'd been cozy with evil, the Lord would have never listened. Proverbs 28.9, King James, He that turneth, his away, turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Message says it this way, God has no use for the prayers of people who won't listen to him. I... I <laughs> I saw this, this meme this week, and, and I really liked it. It said this, We've grown so good at being prophetic, and we've grown worse at being obedient. We, we want to, to hear God. We want God to hear us. But there's a level of obedience that He calls us to. There's a level of sanctification that He calls us to. And the Bible says, if I hold on to iniquity in my heart, my prayer is like an abomination. Now some people would say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira come into the church and they're struck dead because of the iniquity in their heart. Oh, that we would return to that level of holiness. I'd have to have a lot of faith for resurrection and forgiveness, because I don't think it'd go well in our politically correct world. I want to read to you from Isaiah 59, 1 through 3. This is out of the Message Bible. Look, listen, God's arm is not amputated. He can still save. God's ears are not stopped up. He can still hear. There's nothing wrong with God. The wrong is in you. Your wrong-headed lives caused the split between you and God. Your sins got between you so that He doesn't hear. Your hands are drenched in blood, your fingers dripping with guilt, your lips smeared with lies, and your tongue swollen from muttering obscenities. What an accusation there. I know y'all are like, man, Pastor Jacob's making us feel real good this morning. This is great. I just feel so warm and cozy. But as I'm, as I'm studying this week, and I'm, I'm in this place, and, and it goes on. I mean, there, there's a lot more. For some reason, the Message Bible and the app back there would only let me do one through eight. Wouldn't let me split it. I only wanted one through three. 
But when we, when we look at these things, we have to examine ourselves. We have to say, is the reason I feel like my prayer is not being heard because I've regarded iniquity in my heart? Have I allowed my own blockages between me and the Father? Have I allowed unforgiveness to grow in my heart? Have I allowed offense to grow in my heart? Do you see that while our own regard for iniquity, our own sin blocks our prayers? Can I be honest? I hate these passages of Scripture. Now, I don't hate the Word of God. Let's be clear there. But, but I don't like when a passage of Scripture slaps me around. Does anybody like it? No, I don't think so. If you do, come impart it, okay? But when we read Scripture, it is a mirror that is to cause us to look and go, am I reflecting Jesus or are there hidden things in my heart that I did not know were there? And we have to deal with them. We have to, church. This is why I challenge you so often. Live pure lives. Live pure. I know it's hard. I know it can be a constant struggle to keep our minds stayed on the Lord, to capture the mind of Christ. However, your prayer life, your life depends on it. We are in an hour, church. We cannot afford to live with iniquity in our heart. We are in an hour church. We cannot afford to live with offense and unforgiveness in our heart. We cannot afford it. I know that God responds to the cry of a sinner because He responded to mine. He responded to mine. If we believe the word, then it is those of us who are children, the saved, that He doesn't listen to if we have a regard for iniquity. That's the higher standard. I didn't say that we had just committed sin. Listen, if we, if we fall, He picks us up. I'm saying if we regard iniquity. And I want to I give you the difference there. It's one thing if I trip and hit Hector. Right? If I tripped and hit him, that's an accident. I messed up. But if I come and I just start assaulting Hector... I love you, Hector. I'm regarding iniquity in my heart because I'm purposefully, willingly, intentionally doing something that I know is wrong. It is one thing to slip up. It is one thing to have an offense pop up that we weren't intentional. But when we knowingly and intentionally say, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm going to hold on. We are regarding iniquity in our heart and it builds a wall between us and the Father. It's going to get better this morning. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. You can block your own prayers. We build walls that defeat and stop our own prayers. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you're faced with unanswered, blocked, stopped prayers, and if silence is like a canopy over your head, you may need to examine whether or not Isaiah 59, go back and read Isaiah 59, the first 15 verses. Go back and read it. Let it examine you. Let it read your heart. Perhaps if we would simply repent 
get our mind right, drop iniquity like it was hot, then at the same time we would turn the key and release our prayers and find our answers, direction, and we would find provision. Listen, some of you are believing God for provision. You're believing God to provide for you. But you're holding on to something on the inside that's blocking provision. I was reading the story of of Abraham. This isn't in my message. This is free this morning. I was reading the story of Abraham. I guess it was Saturday morning. And did you know that, how many of you have heard the term Jehovah Jireh? Anyone ever heard that? Okay. Do you know it's only used one time in Scripture? One time. Jireh does not show up any other time in Scripture except in the story of Abraham. When Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him, and the ram is caught in the thicket as a substitution for Isaac, it declares that he is Jehovah Jireh. Now, we always say Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, right? That, that's, but Jireh, in its original intent, is this idea. The Lord sees ahead and sends provision ahead of you. So when Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, the Lord had already sent the ram up the mountain. See, we often live at such a substandard of thinking, well, when I get there, God will figure it out. God has already got it figured out. He's the God who sees ahead in your life. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees ahead and sends provision ahead of you. He's got provision in the next season and he's got provision in this season and he's got provision in between. But we've got to deal with the iniquities in our heart. The second wall is a wall of injury. There is a second wall that can block our prayers. This is another wall that we hold the key to. It is the wall of injury. Jesus was clear. Jesus left us no room for negotiation. He said it as a law of the kingdom that when you approach the altar, injury can keep you from being heard. Listen to Matthew 5. I'm going to read out of the message again. Don't give yourself permission to dismiss its instructions. Don't justify injury and block your prayers. Listen to what it says. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you might just find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right, then and only then come back and work things out with God. You know what Jesus is saying here? Forget tithing if you're unforgiving. Now that doesn't excuse tithing, but that's another conversation. Because then if you use that, well, then, then you're worse off because that means you're just holding on to your unforgiveness. But he's saying there, he, he says, you've heard it that if you commit murder, he says, if you even get angry to the point of hatred, you've committed murder. He says, if he goes on in another passage, he says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. 
See, the, the, the cross, on this side of the cross, it's not about the 613 rules that they came up with. It's about the intent of the heart. What are we regarding in our heart? What are we holding on to on the inside? When you come to the altar and remember, isn't it interesting that we typically remember at the moment we begin to approach God? Injury between you and someone else can stop your prayer. Injuries interrupt. Some of us are suffering in silence because we refuse to do the hard and painful work of reconciliation. Earthly relationships can block your heavenly relationships. Our unity as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has more bearing on our ability to communicate with God than we realize. Jesus himself recognized the key ingredient of unity. He prayed that unity and love would invade our lives because he knew that without it, we would come to the altar with no ability to hear or to be heard. Unity. If we are not careful, injury builds a wall around our prayer life and stops clear communion and communication. Who has boxed you in? You can't work things out with God until you first work out things with them. You've got to deal with the injuries. The third wall this morning. I'm not going to preach long this morning. It's too heavy to preach long. It's going to wear me out. Sometimes you just have a message, you just got to hit it and run. But we have a potluck after this. Help Jesus. Help Jesus. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in our prayer life is that we mistake silence for a lack of response. Silence is a part of prayer. There are several reasons prayer is sometimes walled in silence. Number one, this one's hard. God is silent at times because we pray contrary to His will. Now, what does that mean? Because a lot of people are going to go, oh, well, maybe it's not His will to heal that person. That's the devil and that's a lie. Okay? What He's already established in His Word, that's His will. I'm talking about those witchcraft prayers that we often pray, where we want to manipulate people in our lives. God, I pray you just slap them upside the head. He's not going to listen to that. Slap yourself. God, you need to deal with that person. How about we deal with you first? Listen, y'all, can, can I just be real? I'm going to be anyways. I'm preaching to myself. You, you, you got to know that, that whatever I put on here, I've had to work through in myself first, all right? So it's not that I'm just preaching to you because I think I'm holier than thou. Uh-uh. No, I, I, I know when I'm with a group of heathens, hallelujah. Because <laughs> if he's working it out in me, he must be working it out in you. Sometimes he is silent because our prayer doesn't demand a response because he's already responded in his word and we failed to read that word or heed his word. Someone said, say it again. He is silent because our prayer doesn't demand a response because He has already responded in His Word. And we've failed to read that Word or heed that Word. When your kids ask you a question that they already know the answer to, do you feel compelled to respond? No. Sometimes silence is simply God shouting, I've already told you. I've already spoken. 
I've already, God, I need help to forgive this person. Do it. I already told you to do it. 70 times 7. 490 times minimum. However, there's another reason for silence, and that's interference. This is what Daniel experienced. In Daniel 10, the Bible accounts for a prayer session in which Daniel prays and doesn't receive any answer for 21 days. An angel appears to Daniel after the three-week delay and informed him that he'd been held up by enemy resistance. See, the enemy can and he will interfere with our prayers. You need to get that. We have a real enemy. We have a real devil who does not want you to succeed in life. Who does not want you to become more like Jesus. The enemy will interfere. However, here's the great truth in that account found in Daniel 10.12. Daniel is informed that from the moment he humbled himself and began to pray... His prayers were heard. The angel of the Lord says, we heard you the first day. God heard you the first day. We were just working some stuff out in the sky on the way. Prince of Persia showed up and we had to do some wrestling. I had to call in reinforcements. There are some of your prayers that you've prayed that God answered the first day. You just need to understand that there's a process to get it to come into this reality. There's a process. And I think sometimes what happens is we've dealt with, our, we've dealt with our, our injuries. We've dealt with whatever the first wall was. I can't remember what it is now. And, and we get to this third wall of silence and we go, oh, well, I guess God doesn't love me anymore. And we get our, 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 our focus and our attention. Affoction, that's a new word. Attention and focus on ourselves. But Daniel stayed in the posture of prayer for 21 days believing that... I I believe Daniel knew God had heard him and he just waited for the answer. I think sometimes we get in a hurry and we get in this place. God, I need you to answer today. I need you to move today. And God's saying, I'm working something out on the inside of you. I'm developing a perseverance on the inside of you. Perseverance, it's not not pleasurable to persevere. It's not something that we really want. Patience is not something that we long for. And yet it's something God says we need. And that tension of faith, of, of waiting and praying and persevering, See, the apostolic ministry, I had someone ask me this morning, what, what is an, what, what's the real sign of an apostle? I gave him four things. But, but the key comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12. These signs were worked among you of an apostle. Perseverance and signs and wonders. If someone doesn't have perseverance, they're not apostolic in any way. See, see Daniel's prayers were heard the first day. That should encourage you. There are some of your prayers that you've prayed months and perhaps years ago that are still alive. There are still things hanging in heaven, waiting for the right time, waiting for the the interference to be over. And some of it's just going to take some perseverance and some believing. And like Paul wrote to Timothy, war with the prophetic words. Get in it. Get in the war. Get in that place. Some of you know this week's been a tough week for me. Very tough week. But I'm going to tell you that it's in that place where it's tough and it's hard and you want to give up. That's where perseverance is birthed. 
And while I may not be on the other side of the attack yet, I know that there will come a moment where we get through the attack and we get to the other side. And what happens, what's birthed in the attack is an anointing to lead other people out of it. So in the middle of your attack, church, let me say this to you this morning. Don't quit because it's tough. Don't quit because your insides are in turmoil. Don't quit because the enemy's buffeting you from every side. Because there's a deliverance coming. There's a freedom coming. And there's an anointing that's coming on the other side. It's in the crushing of the olives that the anointing oil comes forth. It's in the crushing of the grapes that wine comes forth. And I'm telling you, when I come out of this crushing, when I come out of it, there's a new wine and there's a new oil. And I want to tell you, if you'll submit to the process, if you'll go through the crushing, there's a wine and there's an oil. And that's what we prophesied at the beginning of the year. The prophecy over this house was this was a year where the wine would overflow. Well, how are we going to get wine? if it's not pressed from within us. So don't be surprised when you go through it, but get your attention off the enemy, get your attention back on God, and push through it. Don't give up. Don't mistake silence for a lack of response. It may be that your answer is simply delayed or detoured, but the answer will come. Hold on. On, believe, trust, walk in the assurance that interference doesn't equate to interception. Just because there's a little interference doesn't mean that the enemy's intercepted it. Interception's a turnover. Interception means going the other way and defeat. Interference only equals delay. Silence requires more discernment. Is silence a response or is silence a result of interference? You can only discern that. You've got to know, is the lack of response because I need to go back to the other two walls? Is there stuff I haven't dealt with or am I just in the process of waiting? I'm going to start closing this morning. I didn't say I'm closing, I said I'm going to start. I want to make it sure I don't do more than one close, I do one. Prayer is often walled in. It's often stopped and blocked. What we have to determine, church, if our prayers are going to be effective, is am I fighting my own prayers by regarding iniquity? That was the first wall. It's in my notes. Iniquity or injury, or is my prayer blocked by interference? Kendra, if I could get some music, please. Silence never... Let me say this. This is important. I want you to get this this morning. Silence never gives us a license to take matters into our own hands. Unless that silence is a result of iniquity or injury. If you've got iniquity in your life, if you've got injury in your life, deal with it, church. Don't let the enemy have a foothold there. As I'm walking through my own battle right now, my prayer has been, God, what's in me? Is there anything in me that's allowing this? And because he's faithful, he goes, yeah, let's deal with this thing. Oh, thanks. I was hoping it was just silence because there's interference. Let's deal with this thing. But let me tell you, I, I want to repeat this emphatically. The crushing brings something, church. Don't let your warfare go to waste. 
Don't let the difficulties, don't let the persecution of the enemy, don't let those things go to waste. Don't become defeated in the process. I know some of the battles some of you are going through because you share them with me. I know some of the processes that you're walking through. I know some of the prophetic words that are still hanging in the atmosphere over your lives. But I'm telling you, the words come to pass. God brings it to pass. He's the one that orders our steps. He's the one that makes it so. But if we quit in the process, you don't want to abort your promise. Remember, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I want you to know that. It's a process. It's hard. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. But if we've got two of those walls, tear them down. Tear down iniquity. Leave no room for iniquity in your life. I want to remind you what iniquity is. Iniquity isn't falling. Iniquity is staying fallen. Iniquity is the intentional act of rebellion against God. There's... Everett has discovered the ladder on the playground. He can climb all the way to the top in our backyard. And yesterday, he fell off the ladder. And you know what he was mad about? Not that he fell, that I was trying to prevent him from climbing back up the ladder. That's iniquity. Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. How often does God say, don't do that again? And we go back. And we go back. And we go back. We're like the dogs that return to our own vomit. We know it's not good for us. We know it's not what we need. For some reason, we just keep going back. Bruised and bloody, keep going back. Deal with the iniquity. Deal with it. I was raised in the intercession movement with Birdella and Mary. We dealt with our iniquity. That, that was the first question. What sin is in your land? Now, for years, I had to get back into balance because sometimes we can become navel gazers. and We can spend all of our time looking inward and get our eyes off of Jesus. David prayed this, search me and know me, O God. He didn't say, I'm going to search myself and figure it out. He invited God to reveal it. Because you'll get stuck in a process of navel-gazing if you do that. Invite God to search you. God, what is it? God, is there anything in me? God, is there anyone I need to forgive? Tear down the walls. But when you do that, you typically will get a response. The response might be silence because of interference. And then you just hold on. Having done all to stand, stand there for me. Be steadfast, immovable. Set your face like Flint Church. It can be hard. I'm not going to deny that. I know my own hard this week. I get it. I want you to know that. I get it. I know what it's like to want to give up. 
I know what it's like to want to say, this is too hard. I, I can't find anymore. But let me tell you, we have a faithful Father. He's faithful. And when we come to Him, the Bible says He's acquainted with our griefs. The Bible says there's no temptation common to man that He's not already provided a way of escape for. He became acquainted with all of our temptations. He knew them. He was tempted in every way possible. So that by going to the cross without suffering those temptations, falling into them, He could provide a way of escape for you and I. Doesn't matter what you're facing, church. Doesn't matter what the turmoil is. It doesn't matter what the pain is. It doesn't matter how big the situation feels. God is acquainted with it, and He's provided you a way of escape. And I want to encourage you this morning. Submit to the process. Submit to it. Because when you do, ah, oh, the sweetness of the oil. There's a wine of the Spirit that's so sweet on your lips. There's a rejoicing on the other side. So I want to say to you this, hold on. Hold on. Don't quit. Tear down the walls. Let God fight your battles. Jesus. Father, we worship you this morning. And I thank you for your presence. It's so real in this place this morning. The evidence of your goodness is all over this room. There's so many testimonies in this room this morning of your faithfulness. And God, I pray right now, pray that your presence would permeate each life. If you're in this room this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never made him Lord. You've never given him preeminence in your life this morning. You've never said, God, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner and I need you. I need your mercy. If that's you, you're in this room this morning, wave at me for a second. And I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I want him to become my life. If that's you, would you wave at me this morning? You might be watching on live stream this morning, never given your life to Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to pray. This prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. He becomes your life. This is a great entry point to a life with Him. Church, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Today, I'm a child of God. I'm bought with a price. I'm in the process of embracing who I am as a child of God set free from the sin of my past. In Jesus' name. We pray that your life was impacted today by the presence of God. For more information about the Equipping Church or to give online, please visit www.equippingchurch.us.